The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. The four of us are gathered in the press box at the Etihad Stadium just after Manchester United's defeat in the Manchester derby. There's uh, the usual lawnmowers buzzing around. There's one of the players' kids playing on the pitch and some of the ground staff forking. But um, Laurie, reaction to that? Uh, it feels like quite a divisive one from what I'm seeing online. And maybe you shouldn't look online, you just you know come to your own conclusions. Which You're supposed to tell them what to I, think. I have to, listen, I've come to my own conclusions. I feel that that was a game where actually it was the only way United could really play to try and get a result, given all the injuries. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing United as a club. They shouldn't be coming to the Etihad and having to play like that because at times it did feel like a cup tie where you know a lower league side has gone ahead and they're clinging on. But I just think that the reality of the situation is different over many years, obviously, but all particularly in this instance where you've got eight players out for injury. Marcus Rashford you know, coming into the game with a bit of a niggle, as we've, we'll get on to. Johnny Evans having to come off as well because of a knock. So I feel like United having to sort of play on the break was the only way they were going to perhaps get a result here. And, and they nearly they nearly did. Well, for, 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 for half the game, they were obviously ahead. And I feel like the tired limbs, the quality of City eventually told. Andy, you said in the build-up to this game that Sunday was going to make you gulp. Did it? Yeah, I thought it'd be three or four-one, and and it was. And I said that publicly, and I'm surprised that United went ahead. It was a fantastic goal, and for an hour there seemed to be a plan which was working. But when you concede the three late goals, and the third one was a horrible goal to concede when Amrabat lost possession. Um, I'm always going to be pissed off when I've watched Manchester United lose a, a derby game to Manchester City. I don't think I'll ever change that till the day that I die. And I'm stood here seeing loads of smiley faces because City have just won it. And the however many points clear of Manchester United, I've just seen Pep Guardiola speaking with, with confidence and Eric Ten Hag speaking as well with his version of the truth. But yeah, it's, 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 it's very frustrating. Then again, what else could Eric Ten Hag do given the number of injuries? I was actually quite impressed by United for that for that first hour. I thought that Nana did well. I thought that Bruno Fernandes did well. I thought Diogo Delo did did well. And the strike was fantastic. And just to see, I mean, these are the smallest of mercies, but that away and going mad. Well, a little bit of sunlight in a gloomy day. Yeah, there was a plan. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I spoke to Bruno Fernandes, Carl, after the game, who talked about you know, the character that United showed and the commitment that they showed as well. That wasn't the issue, really, was it? No, the issue is the issue we've known for a while is that Manchester City are one of the richest, most competent clubs in the world and they make good decision after good decision after good decision, whereas Manchester United came into this game the result of loads of, you can call them bad, you can call them unfortunate, you can call them whatever, but they were depleted through injury. They're trying to get a lot from a little and it was pick your poison. Ten Hag's game plan, I think, genuinely took Pep Guardiola by surprise there were two or three histrionics he did on the touchline where it seemed like he was getting to grips with the fact that Ten Hag had outwitted him for at least they were 20 frustrated. minutes that, City were definitely frustrated in the first half they had a lot of the ball they had a lot of shots but they were trying to force things which mm. is not normal for them so you get the Rashford goal Guardiola falls to his knees there's a counter-attack where Rashford is on through on goal in the first half and again Guardiola falls to his knees clearly rattled a little bit by the presence of Garnaccio and Rashford there was one bit we turned to the dugout and pointed to his stomach 
almost like they give me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, and then there was a bit, 25 minutes in, Phil Foden has the ball, edge of the United box, and he goes for a first-time cross to Haaland. And immediately afterwards, Guardiola is going to Foden. Slow it down. Calm down. Next five minutes, City slow down the pace by just 5%. And that was it. Of just, we're going to take the next five minutes to figure you out. And then the tide started turning. I said to Laurie, you know, the first 15 minutes of that game felt like a cup tie. You know, that last 10 minutes of a cup tie where everyone's trying to get the away goal or whatnot. But you can't stretch that over an hour, six, 90 minutes. You know, Rafa ran very good in the box defending. Onana very, very good. But eventually something was going to happen. And you got away with one with Haaland's chance. But eventually they got you. That was the annoying thing that he scored at the end. Otherwise, that miss. <laughs> I suppose City winning the game means the miss doesn't matter as much. But if United had got something from this game, that would have been a historic miss, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, Gary Lineker didn't pull his punch, did he? <laughs> did he not? I've not seen that. I think it's the worst miss he's ever seen, which uh, I actually still haven't seen it back properly. But in the stadium at the time, the kind of reaction was the same sound of reaction as when Rashford scored. You know, you've got this kind of incredible strike that no one was anticipating versus this incredible miss that no one was anticipating. The XG nerds have been out going, it's have this seen, and it's this. I'm, I'm right here, mate. I'm so, right sorry, here. Carl. <laughs> have you seen those numbers, though, Ian? What are the numbers? <laughs> the numbers are Marcus Rashford's shot was 0.03. Uh, you, you're not meant to score from there. Uh, and Haaland's chance was 0 0.81. Uh, a penalty is 0 0.7. It got upgraded to 0 0.89, Carl. Ooh. Ooh. So yes, Haaland missed a chance. <laughs> that was better than a penalty. Uh, I believe someone on Norwegian commentary said 11 times out of 10, Haaland should be scoring that. <laughs> Even that's an understatement, yeah, <laughs> to be fair. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed that moment, if nothing else. Commitment was a key thing though today Andy wasn't it United have gone into these games in recent seasons and that has been the main thing that we've been studying questioning I think United were committed I thought they were very good out of possession the team were very compact there's the cliche that it's setting up to counter-attack but I thought that some of United's movement in the lead up to the counter-attack not many times but United had good possession some lovely balls from Cobimeno in, in very tight areas Bruno was tireless throughout. Rafael Varane made some decent stops as well. And what they're to do, they're up against better players, a better manager and a winning machine. And it's very difficult for Manchester United. But for an hour, the team succeeded in quieting down the fans. I thought the atmosphere was pretty disappointing. I go to Derby games around the world. This is... It's not in the top 50. In well, it got noisy in, in stoppage time. That was about it, wasn't it? I was at a game in Africa last week with a third of the fans here and the noise was three times as loud. The Manchester derby is not brilliant for, for the atmosphere. There's miles better derbies in terms of atmosphere globally. Go to any game in South America and, you, and you'll see that. But City came alive, as they're going to do, as they got the goals towards the end. But I think the players were committed. I think they tried. I can't level too much criticism against them. There were a couple of times where you're frustrated, they'd lost the ball, or I thought as United held on to that lead, they became less daring in, in attack. A couple of times turned, pl played the ball to the side. I was sat three seats along from Darren Fletcher, and for him it was all about just keep possession, just keep possession. Don't let City have the ball because we know what City are going to do when they get the ball. I wasn't expecting that formation whatsoever with Bruno as the false nine, Scott McTominay playing in the type of role which Bruno normally normally plays him but the players gave it a good shot but this is where we are consistently behind Manchester City consistently 10 15 20 points behind Manchester City we knew it was going to be like this at the start of the season and so it's proved the question for United is can that gap be closed under the new ownership yeah that's a longer term vision certainly isn't it I mean can we talk about the tactical plan 
of having McTominay and Bruno Fernandes sitting, it felt like on Rodri and John Stones. It definitely disrupted things and it was a, a clear tactical plan, which again, like we're talking about commitment, that has been something that's been pointed to Tenag that he's not always had that in these sort of matches. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's been loads of questions as to how much tactical acumen does Ten Hag have, especially with this transition-focused system he's been stuck on. But this formation, we didn't know when it was announced at half two. Is it Christmas three? Is it going to be five at the back? I can't remember the last time that's happened with United. I cover games with lots of different teams, not just United, obviously, for the Premier League. And this was one of the first times since maybe Van Gaal where we were properly scratching our heads going, what's he doing here? Or maybe the Rangnick derby here where yeah, Pogba yeah, the, the and oh, whoever was else was on It was Fernandes up top again then. For no, that that's right, with Pogba, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was adamant it was a Christmas tree and I kept saying it to Laurie and Laurie's, <laughs> Laurie's shaking his head right now. Uh, and Everyone I, was telling me Bruno Fernandes is playing on the right. I said, I'm not certain I, he's going to do I that. I thought it was a Christmas tree, Fernandes up top, Rashford and Garnaccio off him. And as time progressed, I'm like, is this a Christmas tree? Keep telling Laurie and Laurie's like, come on, pay attention. It's, it's just the same formation as always. It's, it's just with Bruno up top. Just Scott McTominay is that, you know, destroyer number 10 that we, <laughs> we, we know and love. Um, but also, it, it made sense as McTominay number 10 if you, if you have to put him there because he's got the legs to run up and down the pitch to disrupt City, as you say. Uh, also get into the box in those crucial moments. There were a couple of breaks that, you know, that did just the right pass there would have been... Yeah, McTominay on two or three. If it'd been a notch better you're in yeah. but th those are the margins there, there was one moment where McTominay had the ball and he took I think three extra touches or he could have played someone through and that's the confusion confusion difficulty where you know you're, you don't want to lose the ball in a silly situation but if you are going to beat City you do have to take some form of risk and at this point in time United are in this like liminal space yeah Tenag said post game that it was Bruno Fernandes who had the free roll and then that allowed players around him to make the runs in behind which I guess is that McTominay role along with Garnacho and Rashford okay yeah I mean we were sort of debating it weren't we even that back line who does he play I think the back four was made sense you know given the because the, you need experience in this kind of situation yeah Lindelof's not a left back but he can block he can he knows how to track runners he really get exposed did he no, yeah. no it, only when Amrabat came on and then obviously tried something and it, it just fell apart that that was just you know abject wasn't it after, after they defended so well stretching every sinew to kind of concede a third goal I know the game's already gone but it just really compounded matters no I agree it ignited the atmosphere inside the stadium it was the one that promoted all the chance of your fucking shit and whatever yeah. else. Up until then, the crowd had been quiet. They were nervous. I mean, Andy's touched on the derby sort of being not that great. I mean, we're sat amongst uh, sort of the exec seats where we are. I hope we're okay saying this, but we had a couple of people say they love the podcast. I presume there's a couple of United spies in there. I think you're uh, allowed to be in the Tunnel Club as, as away a, team okay, followers, fine. yeah. <laughs> well, also, uh, and we said to one of them, uh, are you going to celebrate if United score? And he was like, I'm not sure. I don't think he did, but then another lad certainly did because <laughs> you just saw all these City fans getting agitated around us, pointing at him, giving him all sorts. I think someone stole his hat and he's kind of, and he's walking off sort of, you know, not absolutely large in it, but, you know, kind of holding his own. I, I was quite impressed by the lad. Uh, I mean, to be fair to him, he, he saw the best bit, didn't he? And then he got off and he, he didn't need to see any more goals. Should have just left after nine minutes. You even got your Maltesers before the game. I mean, to see you in that press room I know that you don't enjoy being at the Etihad Stadium ever, but looking at that pick and mix, I mean, you must have had mixed feelings at that point. I've eaten about half a kilo of sweets <laughs> today. I walked into the room and there's three Maltesers there and I just shoveled them into my pocket. And like, <laughs> right, sorry, Sheikh Mansour. There's a sign over there for Sheikh Mansour. Nice one for the uh, 
Maltesers. The formation, right, the formation was that closely guarded that I sat next to the analysts and they wouldn't tell me. And I, this isn't normal. So I'm just like prepping like I'm supposed to do. Right, so how's it going to be? And the lad just went, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I thought, oh, this is interesting. So Did they usually time, tell you? If, no. if I asked a question... <laughs> No. If I asked the question 10 minutes before a game, yeah. which is what it was, yeah. what's the plan here? I would expect to get an answer. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything with that yeah, because yeah. obviously it's closely guarded and I respect that they're so professional. So you're not half time. Is the tea downstairs? I'm not telling you. <laughs> and there's no Maltesers left before you try anyway. What we do need to talk about actually, because Eric Tenag mentioned it quite strongly in his post-match, Carl, was the non-foul on Marcus Rashford from Kyle Walker, which led to Manchester City's equaliser. Bruno Fernandes, I spoke to after the game, like I said as well before, he said that Rashford had told him that he felt contact at that particular moment. Was it enough for a foul? It's the angriest thing I've ever seen, Eric Ten Hag. He was apoplectic. He, had, he grabbed the water bottle and threw it to the ground. Uh, Channeling his inner Mourinho at that point, yeah? A little bit of Pep Guardiola special. He was so angry about it. And then 10, minute, 10 seconds later, Phil Foden got the equaliser. In the moment, I think I said to Laurie, not at a derby. Not in an away derby. I can't see a referee giving you a free kick for that. Um, they had a running battle all game. You know, Rash would get on the ball, try and get down, and Kyle Walker, still in his slightly more advanced age, has the pace to get up with him, and that's a real problem. It's been a problem for Rashford all season, all through his career. If he's up against a very strong, very quick defender, he finds it a bit difficult to get that extra yard of space he really needs to be effective. The concern there is the rest defence, the rest of the team from United not being prepared for when the ball is played over for Foden. Just spoke to Ten Hag in his press conference and he said, I've watched it again and maybe it's a little bit soft to be a free kick. But he did then mention, he goes, you know, when you're running at that pace, you don't actually need too much contact before you go flying. So I don't think it's a free kick for me, especially when you're away from home, unfortunately. Agree? Um, yeah, I felt actually that Tanag was, was pretty fair in that assessment after the game because he could easily have gone, it was a foul, I was right, you know, but actually he's gone, I've watched it back, it probably is a bit soft. He actually got booked, didn't he, for his reaction, Tanag. Yeah. I think what Carl's touched on there with Walker, Rashford had that chance, didn't he, when it was 1 0, and he didn't quite control it in the first half, and Walker managed to get back. I wonder how much the, the knock that Rashford's had uh, since the Forest game... We've not hit. talked about that. Tell yeah. us about it. So, so he's had a, a bit of a problem with his hip uh, since that Forest game. You know, when he got sandwiched in between two defenders and Ten Hag said afterwards that he was you know, fighting to be fit for this game, as was Johnny Evans, actually. And that's why both of them came off later. And I wonder how much that played a part in his speed against Walker because he didn't look at his usual... I know Walker's very fast, but he didn't look at his his full ability to uh, sort of match him for pace and maybe and, and Rashford then goes down in that instance because he's thinking that's the, my best chance actually of getting a free kick or foul here some kind of advantage but yeah although I will say Carl's sort of perception of events that happen on the pitch I agree with him on this one but I'm you know he's he called something else slightly wrong John Stones in the second half went down sort of holding his ankle Carl says he's done that's it game over he is done career over it, it, it felt like a doctor, doctor Anker. He's blown his knee out. He's blown, I was talking akin to a man who's done his ACL. Like, yeah, he's done. It's over. Get the stretcher. And then what did we see? John Stone sprinting immediately after that and then, you know, dictating the rest of the game. Is, is that Phil Foden playing with his little lad there out on the pitch? Yeah, that's Ronnie. I think he's actually got more social yeah. media followers than his dad. Watch Daily Mail switch into action now. Look at him. Straight on it. Look at him there. I knew he'd do that. So the dead leg can't be that bad because he got a dead leg in that in that tackle with Anthony. 
that tackle it was put to me just after it happened that if that had been a midfielder that would have been given as a foul the one on Marcus yeah yeah it's someone's opinion but I thought it was quite an interesting way of looking at it well there was one in this later on wasn't a down by the far side where I'm trying to think who it was but the ref gave a foul was it Ake and it was that it felt softer well that's what I mean so, so it, I suppose in the context of the game yeah maybe it's not a derby foul but actually the ref was giving certain fouls like that did you want to talk about the Garnacho penalty claim as well well that was the other one that I, I don't know on another day that's possibly a penalty just because he comes out and he, he does win the ball I'm not disputing that at all it's a force right and then it's, but it is, it is forceful and you definitely see fouls given for that even though the ball is worn and I think I don't know, again, if that's outside the box and it's a midfielder, maybe the ref goes, well, calm down, that's a foul, it was excessive force, but obviously in the way it happened, then it's a, a City goal kick and a, a really promising chance, which was set up by a lovely ball from Mainu, by the mm. way, uh, on his first Manchester derby. Uh, yeah, that, that chance was gone. thought you were going to plug your piece again then, you don't normally no, miss an yet. opportunity. Don't worry, don't worry. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. A really interesting stat that came out of that game, Andy. It's not one that we wanted to end, but that's the first time that Manchester United have lost a Premier League game when they've been leading at half-time for nearly 10 years. 143 games was the record, uh, dating back to September 2014 in that crazy 5-3 game against Leicester. It's amazing that United have been as bad as they've been at times over the last few years and not broken that record, isn't it? That's incredible, 143 matches. After that Leicester game back in 14, the manager ripped up his plans for the season and everything changes. He decided, I am not going to entertain anymore with this football team. I'm not, not playing Rooney, Di Maria, Falcao and Van Persie ever again. We've got your season ticket money in the bank. You can do four, five, six months without seeing a goal at your end of Old Trafford from now on. It's pass back, pass sideways. If you pass forward, you're getting fined a week's wages. That was Leicester back then. A famous, famous uh, game. I mean, it's a stat. It's a surprising stat, but at half time, I still think City were probably favourites to win the game because United did ride the luck in the first half. City were very dominant, and I said at half time, United had defended but like warriors, and I think that was true. Anana was collecting everything coming mm. in in the air, and City had some good chances. We talked about the the, the Haaland one, but his best know, half, Onana for United, that wasn't it. I mean, yeah, Arsenal was good, good, but that was brilliant that first half. A couple of saves from from Phil Foden as well. There was a drive from Rodri, if I'm not mistaken, yes. in the first half. Yeah. So <laughs> there was there was a lot to be encouraged about, given how Fred Bear, not just the starting eleven was for United, but the bench as well. Mm. Look at the players who came on, and I don't know what whether there's an issue with Amari Forson, but he kept slipping over. It was like he was wearing moulded and not a different type of stud, but he slipped mm. over two or three times. But who did City bring off the bench? Alvarez? Alvarez and Oscar Bob. Manchester United brought on Anthony, Amrabat and Forson. And that's, that's part of the... And Cambuala as well. And Cambuala, yes, as well. That, you know, again, injury and force substitutions and whatnot. And that's the gap. And I think for us, if we keep talking about this gap, 
the frustration is, uh, I said it after Forest, when was the last time United were the favourites going into the derby? Another question, when do you think United's going to be able to play Man City without having to resort to counter-attack tactics? At their own game. In fairness though, you mentioned those substitutes, they cost a fraction of the substitutes that United brought on. So, you know, I know, I know we're sort of into that conversation again, but, you know... It's a fair point. Yeah, uh, but, but you're right. In, in general, City's squad is full of established first-teamers who have won things and, and, and know what they're doing on the football pitch and understand their roles, whereas Tanag in this position has to kind of make do with, with what he can. I was talking to a friend at full-time uh, and they said, it's very odd that Manchester United correctly identified that they needed to move on from Fred. And yet, in this game, one, they looked as if they could do with Fred coming on. And two, the person they got in instead of Fred, Amrabat, is worse than Fred. It's no sugarcoating it. I've seen Fred be man of the match here. And Manchester United win a game and score, score three goals. It's not that remarkable, by the way. You make it sound like I've been to the top of Everest once. Do you miss Fred? <laughs> I miss certain parts of Fred's game, definitely. I think Amrabat had four touches. Four touches. And lost possession how many times? Twice. Twice. The third was, was a howler. And you mentioned Lindelof. I did think he allowed Foden to come in on his stronger foot to strike the ball. I, I thought he, he was pushing him, him into space. traffic, though, at that point, rather than showing him down the line where maybe he felt weaker. He might have intended to push him into traffic, but there were no cars there. There was no mate. traffic, yeah. <laughs> there was no traffic. Just open was, road. There was, no, there was no rush hour. <laughs> um, 11 points from the top four with 11 games left. Gone? Difficult. I get Ten Hag's point that if you get on a little run, it can close very quickly. But we're running out of road, aren't we? Yeah. Keeping on the road ones here, boys. And we're relying on... There's a question put to him after the game, can United finish fifth? And I, I just put my head up and thought, is that what we've come to here? Manchester United chasing fifth. And even that looks improbable now. I still Six points and Tottenham have got a game in hand at the moment. Tottenham, though, are renowned for, for bottling it and for being Tottenham. It, I still think... Six points. We're in. We're into March now. Could be in Europa League or the Conference League, where you play like FC Bag of Chips from Kazakhstan. <laughs> we could have gone there again. Yeah, we could be looking I at like that. chips. I know you do. And I mean, we, we're not. We're not winning the Champions League, so we might as well go into this competition, aren't we? Going to grounds which holds eight thousand. Before the West Ham game at Old Trafford, the West Ham fans sang Conference League winners. You'll never sing that. <laughs> and I tweeted it and I had one I had one United fan go give it a couple seasons <laughs> I, I know what Andy's eyeing up here he's just eyeing some like you war zone in some you know Eastern European country that he's not been to before that he fancies just taking a day trip to uh, look any trophy's a trophy and I think speak to any West Ham fans about Prague but yeah the, the mighty have fallen what we need to see is Ineos it's not gonna, this isn't going to happen over six months he, even if you look at Man City were taken over 2008 Three years in, they were properly going toe-to-toe with United in derby games when United were the best team around. And they could spend quite a lot to get there very quickly as well, which United aren't going to be able to do. Yeah, City spent quite a lot badly as well at the time, a lot of the, because, because players didn't really want to join Manchester City. Yeah, that's so. without me being mischievous yeah, no, about some of the charges and all that side of things. They yeah. did spend Rubinho. a lot of money very quickly. Joe, I like... Yeah, yeah I'm just reading off. But it takes time, and Ineos is going to take time. We're going to see a lot of changes coming at Manchester United. A lot of people worried about the job at, at the 
football club. Did City sign a player called Job? Joe. Joe yeah, was Joe, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Job played for Middlesbrough. Yeah. There is a serious point to all this sort of. Is wander, there? Are you wa- sure? Wandering down memory lane. <laughs> but I think, well, the big point is Ten Hag, is this the best you can actually do with this group of players? Or is another manager going to be able to get more out of it? So that's the question. And Ineos will want to see, I think, when the players are back fit that he's hoping for, a sign of progress. And yeah, I mean, it does look pretty damaging, doesn't it? That, that, that you know, minus two goal difference, Spurs, Aston Villa ahead and, and not looking like they're going to drop many points, to be honest. But I feel like when you look at the job that Ange Postacoglu's done at Spurs, the job that Unai Emery's done at Aston Villa, they're getting more out of the players than perhaps you'd expect. So I think whilst we do have to give a lot of um, latitude to Tenag for the injuries and, and the circumstances that he inherited, you still need more than this. That's going to be the, the big question coming up to the the end of the season. The other thing, Laurie, is they need to avoid finishing the year with a negative goal difference. I don't know when the last time that would have happened for United. Minus two in March. And not only that, actually, the 11 Premier League defeats now. The record's 12, which they uh, recorded in 13-14, which was the season that David Moyes started as United manager, and 21-22, which obviously Ralph Rangnick ended in temporary charge that's another landmark that they don't really want to be threatening yeah for sure I mean I think the thing with Tanag is that he basically either wins or loses so those lose stats you can actually balance out with the kind of you know the the fastest manager to win 50 games or whatever it is for United so it's kind of this weird Jekyll and Hyde situation and you'd rather you'd rather that wouldn't you I mean the Fulham game for example they shouldn't really be in that situation but they were trying to win the game that's why they lost the game so I think there's a few examples of that but, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's damning stats all over, isn't there? I mean, the fact that they've scored as many goals as Luton, you know. And, and I asked Ten Hag after the game, is this the best you can do at City in these circumstances to kind of defend deep mainly and then try and break? And he said, actually, I thought we were quite proactive defensively. And, OK, that's, a, that's a, uh, one way of looking at things. But that isn't the, the level that United need to be at. It needs to be much more proactive sort of 50-50 with you know the chances and possession yeah you're not going to dominate the ball here you're not going to overwhelm City but it can't just be sit back and, and try and counter all the time Fernandez with uh, Diaz close to him he set it for Rashford! He has ripped it in! Marcus Rashford with force! Well, we need to talk a little bit more about Marcus Rashford, don't we? Because he scored one of the great Manchester derby goals. In fact, only Eric Cantona and Wayne Rooney have now scored more goals against Manchester City for United in the Premier League era but it was his interview this week or his statement I suppose is maybe the the better way to put it that came out through the Players Tribune that ensured whatever happened today Andy was going to be a talking point Marcus Rashford what do you make of it all? I didn't like it I didn't think the timing was good I couldn't see what good could come from from doing it I'm not sure the people behind Marcus know how match-going Manchester United fans feel about him. I feel that they are massively disconnected with the reality on the ground. They spend too much time looking at social media and the opinions of people they shouldn't be taking so seriously. I stood outside the away end with Laurie on the 1st of last month. I couldn't find a single United fan 
who wanted Marcus to stay at the club. That's pretty shocking, that, isn't it? I actually would like him to be a success for Manchester United. We saw today how good he can be. That was one of the best goals of the season. A Manchester City supporting journalist said to me at half-time, if I'd not seen Wayne Rooney's goal, I'd say that's the best goal I've ever seen in a Manchester derby. He, he is that good. And I feel conflicted all over the shop because I know people who know him really well who will not hear a bad word about him. They've known him since he's been six years old. But I know how I felt when I saw that the other day. And I think patience is all but run out among a lot of Manchester United fans. And I see him as a journalist. Huh? Speak to most of the players. Get on with the players. Just walks past and blanks you. I'm sorry. You know, I hear it a big Manchester United fans and I've done it for a long, long time. I have zero relationship with him. I, I saw that and thought, this is coming out ahead of a, of a Manchester derby match. We don't know what's going on in Marcus's private life. I'd respect that. He's a young lad. He's growing up. I totally respect that. Remember what I was like when I was his age. Relationships end. Good things happen. Bad things happen. And to do it in the public spotlight cannot be easy for him. And it's nothing to do with money. I hate the argument, oh, you earn this much money. That, I, I just don't buy too deeply into that. And underneath it, I think there's a good lad there. And I spoke to his school teachers. I know some of his friends. But when I saw that, I just thought, I was, I'm sorry I wasn't convinced. The lads can disagree with me or agree with me, but I just didn't, I couldn't see the merit of, uh, of it coming out when it did. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think players perhaps in this modern era feel like if they don't sort of stick up for themselves, then who will? Uh, that being said, clearly in that format, I think it, it feels quite a, not manufactured, but it, it, it feels like you're having to you know, it's going through the editing process, isn't it? It's, you know, obviously, you'd love to see Marcus perhaps say things to a camera, which you know they did release some of the footage, but um, it wasn't the full thing, was it? So, you know, ahead of the derby, he obviously wants to arrest the kind of perception around him after that Belfast night out, which I think was fairly covered, you know, certainly by the Athletic in terms of him then missing training the next day and that then having an effect on what Eric Ten Hag said about him. But the best way to respond surely is by performing on the pitch. The, the best way to react to all the Belfast stuff was to score that goal against Wolves. The best way to combat any sort of criticism that he's had this week or recently ahead of the Manchester derby was to do that in the eighth minute. Almost. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you know my relationship working relationship with Marcus I should also say I used to work for the Players Tribune so I know how those things come about as well I don't think it's the goals for people listening I don't think it's the goals for people who are drinking in the pubs in Manchester right now about Rashford I think the argument now is is he doesn't run or the perception is he doesn't run the clip that was on social media right of him not pressing yeah that that's the issue it's this hard work is both the bare minimum and also the most important thing for a lot of United fans. And if you're seen not to be running, and it doesn't even need to be which direction you're running, you seem, you need to be seen to be busting a gut. Now, Rashford, we know how good he is in an attacking sense. We know he's just pinged it in 0.3 XG <laughs> and he's gone over and he's pointed to his head and that away section was absolutely buzzing for his goal. There's also other parts of his game that for whatever reason, United fans aren't having them right now. And the situation is you either do it to get these fans back on side or your attacking output, the amount of pingers, the amount of ridiculous goals you can score has to go up massively. I, I think last season, 
Rashford's job was not to be tracking back and running. It was very much, you stay in this left half space, Casemiro or someone else is going to win the ball and want to look for you first time, run in behind, get a goal. Now you've got a Casemiro who is 31 and is just getting done by one twos. That, the way he got done for that one two for Foden's goal, you're going, ah, oh, 28 year old Casemiro stopping that. So the counter press is wrong. Rashford is st- still standing in the same positions waiting for that ball to come, but it's not coming. So he's not getting those chances to run in behind. When he is running in behind, he's getting caught by Kyle Walker for whatever reason. So if the goals aren't coming, then the fact that you're stood there becomes more and more important. You need to contribute to that defensive effort. Now, Rashford could turn around and say, well, last year I was doing great and I didn't have to make the defensive effort. A lot of me back is, well, we're not as good last year, so can you muck in with everyone else? I think he's trying. I think there was definitely a phase after those games against Wolves where he was visibly seen to be running a lot more. We're talking about his injury or the injury he was carrying. That's because he was chasing a loose ball against Nottingham Forest and then basically took someone's forearm to his ribs. Whatever happens with Marcus Rashford is not going to be solved by one goal in a derby anymore. And that's bizarre to say. It's going to take weeks of hard running and probably a lot more goals to get United to wherever they need to be. He's going to have to be the talisman of a team that is in desperate need of one. The thing is, Andy, for us, it shouldn't get any better than watching a local lad score goals for Manchester United in a Manchester derby. There shouldn't be a negative to that side. I love the idea that that could have been us out there this afternoon. We grew up in the area. No, I'm a yonner. You're about to tell me that. But Marcus grew up in Manchester properly. You know, as a United fan as a boy, came through the ranks. We've talked about it loads and loads of times. There shouldn't be a negative to any of this, should there? To go into that away end and ask people who are from Manchester what they think of him, and you'll be surprised how negative the reaction is. Look at the response to that Players' Tribune piece. It was, what, 90% negative? Is that fair to say that? I live on a different internet from you. Okay. <laughs> I saw a lot more pro okay. Rashford comment. But this is the thing. He is divisive. He's a divisive figure in a way that... Divisive? Divisive? Divisive. There you go. He's That's what I get on here. Eri divisi. Eri divisi. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing too much Dutch on Duolingo. I had a little chat with Yap Stam. I saw him yeah. talking Dutch to Yap Stam before. Just, just, just before we went to the press conferences on two, two tracks. He, he's controversial in a way that he probably shouldn't. I look at how Arsenal treat Arsenal fans look at Saka and every time Arsenal lose the conversation is we're going to get Saka more titles we're going to get Saka his help I look at how he's like a protected species Bukayo Saka by the way I look at how Chelsea fans talk about Conor Gallagher and say this guy runs but now the counter argument there is Conor Gallagher runs his heart out every single week Saka his defensive work rate is really really high because he used to play at fullback so you can hear me trying to have an argument myself in my own head you can say my conflict of interest and whatever. I don't think there's a conflict of interest. I think Marcus Rashford should be protected and should be treated as like a French, you know, the face of Manchester United. There are reasons right now where fans aren't going to get behind him. And the way Rashford is trying to get those fans on side means certain sections of the fan base, nah. Whereas certain sections are. And that's really sad. I think the passion with which he ran towards that away end Clearly, there's a, an energy there that he's fueled by that he, he wanted to explode really with that kind of you know celebration, which I think is great to see because you want passion. Um, I just think the the way to kind of obviously is to do it on the pitch, as Carl said, all the extra stuff around, just even scoring goals, just sh- show that commitment. Fans can detect that kind of stuff, and I think also yeah, do it in a visual sense, to, to chat chat to people on on camera so that you can kind of rather than this kind of adversarial sort of almost tone to the, to the Players' Tribune piece where it was basically 
you know, don't come at me, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about, almost. Like, I, I, I well, of, the quote is, if you back me, good. If you doubt me, even better. Well, that's that's great. Okay, that, that's that's superb. Like, because you want that kind of, okay, we're, 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 you're being tested here. Let's come out and, and see it. And and I think, I, I suppose, you know, playing through that kind of injury and, and committing himself, that's, people that's one way. Pe- people don't need don't know that, but I think that's a valid point to actually truck into all this. I don't know, I always, I always think that people speaking honestly and openly is the best way and, and clearly when you see a, a, you know, the Players' Tribune as Carl's touched on it's obviously it goes through you know different you know drafts doesn't it and, and then to the, the response that Andy sees is people you know go PR you know that, that's what it boils down to then also you get people saying this is still Rashford that's speaking ultimately and it's just somebody helping him sculpt it into an argument a, a coherent you know powerful rhetoric it's still coming from the the original place, so actually, I absolutely buy into this. So, that, but that's why there's there's a sort of divisiveness about it, and that will probably be the case with Rashford until there's a kind of consistency of that performance in terms of energy and effort. Not even necessarily scoring loads of goals, I don't think. But I mean, at the end, for example, you had Bruno Fernandez was the one that was stood in front of the away section applauding them and there was obviously quite a lot of empty seats by this point but he, he stood there applauding and it just you could just sense that it, it was really painful for him and, and he then ended up giving his shirt to an away fan Andrew Nana was, was stood next to him you could see they were in conversation he, he was clapping for a good few minutes Marcus Rashford's approach to defeat is, is different I think in that he, it does really genuinely pain him I, I spoke to people that say that he, he's awful to be around for the next couple of days because it, it affects him that deeply so I don't think he does that kind of thing really in front of the fans he has talked to me about that exact thing and about right. carrying the weight of defeat heavier than he enjoys the victories he, he said that's something he's struggled with his entire life even yeah. as a kid in the academy he won't play out with his mates if he'd got beat at the weekend and he can't shake that feeling yeah so if, if you've got that in your head that then people are just judging you and accusing you of stuff all the time then it must be diff- you must feel a bit anger you know and that's probably where the players tribune thing comes from but obviously the, the way that he played today wasn't perfect scored an incredible goal we'll remember that goal that was a wow moment you know for everybody in this stadium but you'd ideally like it to be coupled with a performance of real grit and determination that gets your team over the line and again I don't know how much he was hampered by the injury but hopefully there's more performances that are on that wavelength in the future Okay let's leave it there then before we get chucked out of the Etihad it's not quite as fun joking about that after a defeat in the Manchester derby as it is when we've watched Manchester United win at Old Trafford but there we go Uh, we'll be back later on in the week on Thursday the only thing actually I do need to mention Laurie you're off aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Will we see you again? You'll see me. This this is my last match for a little bit. Obviously, uh, had a boy who was born on Derby Day, and so you know, feels like quite a fitting way to <laughs> say goodbye for a little bit. Uh, going on paternity leave, so I'll obviously be watching the games. I'll be still probably making some calls, but um, yeah, and I'll be on the podcast. Don't worry, but not that's the important bit. I was not, waiting for you to say that. Not as frequently, perhaps. So um, yeah, but it'll be a nice little bit of time to relax and refresh. Well. Yeah, as much as you can do. Enjoy your break with your lad, mate. You've deserved it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Talk of the Devils. As always, Andy, Carl, Laurie, thank you for being with us. And we'll see you on Thursday. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.